Hello and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. And in this episode, we will begin looking at uh, the the stories of 1949 by Heinlein. Um, and there are four of them. And the most interesting, I think, and the one that's probably the most worth looking at and reading is called Delilah and the Space Rigger. And that's what we'll look at today. Uh, this story uh, fits into the the broader future history, and it's one of the green uh, hills of Earth stories, which we've been coming back to frequently. It's actually the last of them um, in that collection, so I, uh, this kind of does close a little bit of a chapter in our look at Heinlein's works. Uh, so to go over those works again, we have uh, Space Jockey, The Long Watch, uh, but, well, Space Jockey is just about the, the commuter, right? The Uber driver um, who gets a full-time job. The Long Watch, uh, the one about the heroism of someone who sacrifices his life for the ship. Or, or no, the, to prevent the, the, the coup. Uh, Gentlemen Be Seated, that's the one about the, the, what it takes to be uh, working on the moon. The Black Pits of Luna about the boy. Uh, that's the same theme. About the, that's the one with the the boy, the Boy Scout who loses his brother, or the brother gets lost in the moon and he helps save him. It's great to be back about people who have a hard time getting coming back to Earth after their time on the moon. Uh, Ordeal in Space, which is about the PTSD. The Green Hills on Earth, about the, about the, really the thematic heart of this whole series about uh, people in space longing for Earth and maybe never be able to quite go back to it. Uh, and then we have two older stories included in this collection from 1941. We also walk dogs and the logic of empire. I don't. Those probably just from filling out. They're not quite in the same series of works. Yeah, that's um, and Delilah the Space Rigger. Actually, the first in the order that they appear in the collection, uh, but the last one published. So it first appeared in the in Blue Book in December of 1949. Um, and let's let's talk about this a little bit. First of all, you kind of know where the story is going just from the title. The title reveals quite a lot. We're getting a, a, a female worker in space. Um, now, the new use of the term Delilah is, a, you know, it's obviously on purpose. I assumed the character was named Delilah uh, when I read it, which, which she's not. Uh, so we got the the use of um, we got the use of Delilah as a metaphor here. So Delilah and the space rigger. So the space rigger is our main kind of point of view character here, who is a um, you know like a like an engineer running the construction of the space station one. So this is that first space station in in, in space, and it's being run by an all male crew. Uh, now, Delilah, of course, is this sedu seductress and traitor, right? The one who cut Samson's hair. I, I forgot all the details of the story, but she's not good, right? I mean, she's not uh, someone we're supposed to emulate. 
I guess she's a strong woman. I'll, I'll get. Uh, I get that impression from her stories. But I, I don't, I, you know, she's, I don't think she's supposed to be that good. Uh, here, Wikipedia says, Most Christian commentary on Delilah condemns her. St. Ambrose represents Delilah as a Philistine prostitute and declares that men should avoid marriage with those outside the faith, lest instead of love, one spouse there be, be treachery. Um, Samson's betrayal by Delilah has been compared to Judas's betrayal by Judas. Uh, the temptation's been compared to that of Satan's temptation of Christ. So the, none of this is good. Um, maybe Jewish interpretations are more positive. Um, I, I'm not going to read all this. But, yeah, it's... She's such a positive character in the story, as it turns out. I think this is more trying to be ironic, maybe. Or maybe focus on the strength of, of Delilah or the impact she's having on the men. I think that's probably what it comes down to. Like the, the snipping of the hair is, of course, a bad thing in the story of Samson. It's, it's a result of the betrayal. But but here it's it's Delilah's presence on the space station helps convince the men to be more well-behaved because that's how the story begins. The story begins us being set up with... It's set up that... Larson, Tiny Larson, the, the head of this construction of the space station, is having a problem of turnover, having a problem of rowdy uh, workers. Uh, basically, it's an all-male environment that's kind of gone around the bend. Um, quote, uh, it was the people that gave us the headaches. We had a sprinkling of married men, but the rest were wild kids attracted by high-paying adventure. Some were busted spacemen. Some were specialists like electricians and instrument men. About half were deep sea divers used to working in pressure suits. They were sand hogs and riggers and welders and ship fitters and two circus acrobats. We fired four of them for being drunk on the job. Tiny had to break one stiff's arm before he would stay fired. What worried us was where did he get it? Turned out the ship fitter had rigged a heartless still using, a va using the vacuum around us. He was making vodka from potatoes swiped from the commissary. I hated to let him go but he was too smart, quote. So, so the, the Delilah metaphor here is, is, um, is Brooks, Brooke, uh, J. Brooke, G, or sorry, G. Brooks McNai, who arrived on the ship, basically improves the men's character. Um, and, and that's essentially the plot we get. At first, Larson doesn't want this woman on the on the ship it's like old really old-fashioned views of of women you know camping as all male environments and stuff goes back to sailor days uh where women were bad luck on the ship uh just the idea that the woman would be a disruptive force and make their their condition bad it's not that he doesn't like he hates women he just is afraid that a woman there's misogyny here but he's basically afraid that a woman on ship will make the disciplined behavior worse uh, as men will like fight over her and, and she's not that bad looking um, but it's kind of contextualized yeah, we're told like yeah she looks pretty good given we haven't seen a woman for, for, for how many years we've been working up here but you know she, she's kind of hot and competent and the fear is just that this would make the, the moral situation worse and make discipline worse on the ship so he wants to fire her when it's revealed that this is a woman um, in fact, her, she, she did hide her, her gender when she took the job, knowing this could be an issue. Now, before I go ahead, let's put this uh, in context. Um, women in space uh, were pretty rare. Uh, 
in the in the 20th century, uh, less so now. Um, well, until the late till the 1990s, anyways. Um, just a handful, and you know, both from the Soviet Union and the United States. Um, the first uh, was Valentina Tereshkova, uh, 1963. So that's 13 years after this story is written. We finally have a woman in, in space. Um, only woman to make a solo space flight and the youngest woman in space. Wow, nice CV there. Uh, then we have another uh, Soviet woman, Svetlana Statskaya, uh, who uh, it was another 20 years before another woman went into space. Um, and then a bunch of American women, um, one Canadian, the rest are American, but the first is Soviet, of course. Um, so that's a medal for them if they, if they need any more in the space race. I guess they're already kind of aware of that one. Um, nevertheless, uh, I, I think the, some of the presumptions here about space being a male environment is, Fair. I mean, science fiction was very male-dominated at this time, and most of our protagonists in science fiction at this time were men. Um, and, of course, we know Heinlein does have women in space uh, in some of his other stories, right? It's Great to Be Back is a woman returning from the moon. We, we see women in the moon in, in the black, uh, black fields of Luna. Uh, we see several women in these stories in space, not really in work or this kind of hard labor kind of environment, not as the pioneers. So what Heinlein is doing here is presenting a woman as one of these pioneer generation women in space, you know, in, not just someone who comes later as a tourist or a colonist. And I think that's really a significant achievement here. Um, so I, I always love Heinlein's uh, portrayal of women. I think he does a pretty good job on it. I know he's been criticized by some. I think in the context of the time, he, he's pretty feminist in how he deals with this issue. Um, now, the, I, I think where there, where there might be issues is this idea that she's going to be a almost a domesticating force, that there's almost... She never actually plays it consciously, though. I think that's the important thing. She doesn't come in here and tell the men to, like, you know, wipe the food off their chin and and dress nicer. It's just, you know, it just happens as she's there, the men start to behave better around her. And, and yeah, there's a bunch of gendered politics in that going in. But she never for a moment stops being just who she is, who is, is kind of badass, hardworking, competent and 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 effective at her job. So the plot is essentially uh, Tiny wants to get rid of her, but he can't immediately because there needs to be another ship that comes and they need to replace her. So he's like, you, like do your job, but the first time we get a chance to replace you, we're going to do it. Um, and by the time that happens, it, it figure, they, they learn, wow, she's, she's not only doing her job really well, super effective at it, like, behavior on the ship has Im or on the space station has improved uh, morale has improved and and all these things that were problems at the start of the story have been fixed so Heinlein addresses this a few times in the story uh, saying quote Tiny's efforts to keep Gloria fenced up were sort of pitiful in the first place the radio tech's biggest job was repairing suit walkie-talkies done on watch a rash of such troubles broke out on her shift 
I made some shift transfers into Octafew for cost too. It's not proper maintenance when a man deliberately busts his uh, aerial, end quote. So th the implication here being that, that men want to have their stuff repaired, so they sabotage it, which might be a problem, but it's balanced by other things. Uh, quote, there were other symptoms. It became stylist to shave. Men started wearing shirts around quarters and bathing increased to where I thought I would have to rig another water still. Um, came the shift when D... 113 was ready and the jaters readjusted. I don't mind saying I was nervous. All hands were ordered of the watching into suits. They perched around the girders and waited. Um, anyways, this gets into the plot a little bit of, of one of their, their missions and things. But the point is their behavior improved uh, and they start to like that. There's a point early on about just how smelly it was and no one was showering. Everyone was like naked in the, in the space station and it was all kind of troublesome, right? Um, but uh, on top of this all, she's very, very uh, competent in her, in her own right, doing her job just as well as any man did. So I think that's an important uh, conceit by Heinlein here and why I think this story is, is, is a feminist story and, and should be read that way. Now, when the news gets out, we're getting to the climax of the story here. When the news gets out that they're going to like replace her, the men begin to resist and they there's grumblings about strike of course they can't strike it's it's a very important job in space they sign no strike contracts but they say well they've earned a, a lot of the men have earned enough time that they could just quit and get free passage back to earth and that would be like a heavy heavy burden on on construction on production so they kind of say we want her to stay so the exact opposite of what we thought might happen where the men would like grumble and resist a woman being on board. They actually end up liking her and even ask for more. Um, and then where, where eventually they come to the conclusion, you can't have one, one, one woman serving among several hundred men, get me. And then finally the conclusion is, well, we need to get more, more women, right? Um, don't forget old married couples, very forget married couples. And better ask for some older women, too, was the conclusion. So basically, they're saying, let's open up the doors to invite more women on the ship. So she becomes kind of a pioneer, not only of mankind in space, but also of, of women being uh, a presence in, in space. So it, it's kind of an awesome, optimistic story in the end. And, it, and it's just kind of nice and delightful. And I think definitely, definitely worth reading. It's a nice capper to... The Green Hills of Earth series, I think um, it deals with some of the themes we've been exploring, like what kind of people can make it in space. And, the, and then you've got the assumption versus the reality of that. The assumption being not only be men, but actually there are women that have these characteristics. And if humanity is going to be in space, it is going to have to be both genders to some degree, right? It is going to have to be families. It's going to have to be married couples. It's going to have to be people who... Um, you know, can envision a future for themselves and their families in space long term. So for that, you're going to need women. And it, it calmed the men down, right? And it made things more sustainable. It helps us understand, I guess, line marriages in The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Uh, why they were so important that, the, that even though the men were, uh, men outnumbered the women, that the men get married, right? Um, now, this really reminds me of like Virginia and early Virginia colony and the struggles they dealt with. Unlike Puritan New England, which was mostly 
families. Virginia, of course, was mostly single men early on who wanted to get rich quick and go back or do their indentured servitude and get land. And then, you know, who knows? They weren't thinking that far ahead in many cases. But there was ended up being a shortage of women. Um, and the solution became to, like, bring in more women. This was something that happened after Bacon's Rebellion. Uh, I know that the normal narrative we get is that they brought in slaves as a, to replace indentured servants. That certainly happened. But they also started bringing in more women as a solution to that. Kathleen Brown's book uh, about, was it, wenches, uh, good wives, wenches, something or other in, in Colonial Virginia. I forget the name of that book, but you can look it up. It's Kathleen Brown. She talks about gender politics in early Virginia and gets into these questions. So it's, it's not an unforeseeable issue. And it's, it's kind of done in a, in a really nice way here. I think this is a nice capper to the Green Hills on Earth series. Um, but not much more to say about it. But really a story that's worth reading. You should check it out. Um, next episode, I guess we'll look at golf. Um, yeah, I think golf is next. I, I forget the name of the... the well, the fourth story is, is Good Daddy. But uh, for now, let's, let's, let's do golf next. And we just got four stories before we get to Farmer in the Sky, which I have been reading and really excited to talk about that one. Um, but anyways, that's all for Delilah and the Space Rigger. Uh, I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.